Well, good morning. There are, uh, there are some things that people believe, maybe even that some of us believe, things that we accept as truth and even attribute those truths to God that simply aren't things that God ever said or promised. The truth is, if enough people for a long enough period of time attribute a, a saying or a phrase or any words at all to a certain person, even if the words weren't theirs, it becomes accepted that they're the one that said it. You can convince somebody that the wrong person said something if you say it for long enough. This happens a lot in music. Um, how many of you remember the classic tune, A Horse With No Name? Okay, I'm impressed. That's good. Just checking. Um, that song's by America. But if you ask around long enough, I bet you can find someone, probably someone younger, who didn't know the song when it originally came out, who maybe wasn't alive when it came out, who would tell you, I think that song is by Neil Young. They'd be wrong. But you also understand that, you know, it kind of does sound a little bit like him, so they assume it's him, and, and what happens is when somebody makes that assumption and doesn't check it out, and then they say it and they tell their friends, and what you end up with is a, a, a generation of people who are a little confused sometimes about music that's a little older than them. According to the internet, which obviously can only be believed to a certain point, a significant number of people believe the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, familiar with that one, right, is actually by Bob Marley, and that's completely wrong, other than it was by a guy named Bob, technically. Um, Bobby McFerrin did that song. Again, there's enough similarity there that I guess I can understand the confusion, but come on, people, do some research. And then the one that bothers me the most, that, that I've heard the most from people is, and this is a multi-level misattribution here, uh, Life is a Highway. You guys know that song? There are people that believe the version from Pic the Pixar movie Cars by Rascal Flatts is the real version. <laughs> It was not a new story. People think that's the only version. No, sorry, not true. Um, there was an old version. The problem is a lot of people think the old version was Tom Petty. And in all honesty, I don't think it sounds anything like Tom Petty. It was actually by a guy a little less known than Tom Petty named Tom Cochran. So it happens. People make these assumptions. They don't do the research and they go, oh, that sounds like this person. That must be who it is. I'll just go with it. It's definitely not just music. Uh, just through a quick Google search, I realized there are a number of lists of quotes that are misattributed to William Shakespeare. This whole list of things that, that people say William Shakespeare said that he actually never said. There are almost as many lists that flip the other way that are things that William Shakespeare said that are commonly attributed to other people. And so, so we do that. We make assumptions. If one person says, oh, they, they know what they're talking about, I'll say it too, and that happens. On top of that, if you think about it long enough, you'll probably think of a time that you were misquoted. That someone said that you said something that you never actually said. It's not fun to be misquoted. It can be damaging to your reputation when you're misquoted. It can be tough to correct the error when you've been misquoted. And sometimes those situations where you were misquoted, much like those song lyrics, become believed to be factual quotes that live on as something you supposedly said people eventually sometimes will, will just accept it even though you never actually said it. And it matters very much to, much to us when we're misquoted. We'll defend ourselves when we've been misquoted. We'll say, that's not what I said. Um, the danger there is social media. Um, if you wrote it on the internet, it's probably going to stay there uh, on some level. And you can't say, I never said that because you wrote it. Um, but our verbal or out loud uh, misquotes, we'll defend that. And we'll say, you know, you, that's wrong. I never said that. And we get up in arms about that. The truth is it should matter even more to us when the God that we serve is, is credited with words or ideas that he never said, or maybe even worse, promises that he never made. 
And yet that happens quite a bit. There are a lot of things people say God said or that they attribute to the Bible that just aren't in there. I've looked. And so throughout this series, we're going to look at four things that God never said that a lot of people still believe on some level. And so as you can see from the video, today we're going to talk about what might just be the most popular misbelief about God in our Western version of Christianity, and that's that God wants you to be happy. That above all else, your happiness matters to God. And listen, I I would love to be able to tell you that above all else, God wants you to be happy. I would love to be able to tell you that that's the truth, that God only wants good things to happen in your life, and he wants all the bad things out of your life, and, and that he wants a permanent smile on your face. I would love to be able to tell you that. I could even cherry pick a scripture or two to back up that statement. If, if you look at Psalm 97, verse 12, and all these scriptures are in the insert in your bulletin and they'll be on the screen. I can cherry pick this. I can even choose the right translation that will say what I want it to say. And it says, may all who are godly be happy in the Lord and crown him our holy God. And I can just pick the word happy out of there and say, see, we're supposed to be happy. Boom, that's my theology. God wants me to be happy. But it's a dangerous game to play when we pull one or two verses from Scripture or even pull a word from a verse and base a large portion of what we believe about God on those few verses. I mean, this really is one of the big cultural mistakes in what people believe about God. You know people who believe God wants them to be happy. There's a whole school of thought, entire churches and belief systems that are set up around this assumption, around this belief that God wants you to be happy and everything else falls in line behind that. One of the biggest issues with that is that that misbelief, that God wants us to be happy, inevitably starts us down a path to other misbeliefs. Let me show you that path real quick here. If you believe that God wants you happy above all else, these three things inevitably will happen. Number one, or A, is this. If you believe that God wants you happy above all else, then whatever makes you happy must be right, and whatever makes you unhappy must be wrong. And while that sounds decent you're already on pretty shaky ground. If you believe that God wants you happy above all else, B, then you start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, obstacles, and even inconveniences can't possibly be God's will. In other words, if something isn't going right in your life, then God must not be working in your life. And then if you believe that God wants you happy above all else, see, you begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. You know, the stuff that makes you happy. That's the path that we take. And at the end of that path comes this dangerous belief. When we believe above all else that God wants us happy, suddenly we're forced to believe that God exists to serve us. Which is seriously backwards. We exist to serve God. And yet, if our happiness is the most important thing to God, then it would have to be the other way around. And in that case, we reduce the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, the Holy One, down to, and I've heard it phrased this way, and I love this, down to a cosmic Coke machine. If I put my money in and press the button, the machine has to give me what I want. If I follow God, if I do my part, he has to give me what I want. I did my part, now it's on him to keep me happy. And that's how some people, even some of us sometimes, treat God. 
We've reduced God to some kind of formula where we say, I, I prayed, I went to church, I did more good things than bad things, I gave some money, I was pleasant to my neighbors, I took someone's cart back at the grocery store. Of course, if you do that at Aldi, you gain a quarter. But we say, I'm, I'm way in the black on this. I'm, I'm, I'm way better good than bad. And so I'm, I'm on the positive side. I've done a bunch of good things. And then, and then we begin to say, okay, so what's God going to do for me? I've done all these God things, so my headaches should go away. Or I've done all these things, so I should get the job. I should get the promotion. I should get the house or the car that I want. I should get more money. I did my part. Now God needs to come through for me. And even though we might never say those actual words, sometimes that's how we act. But here's the tragedy of this misbelief, and really the tragedy of, of most misbeliefs. So many people end up walking away from God for totally, completely wrong reasons because of wrong beliefs. And it ends up sounding something like this. I tried church. It didn't make me any happier. I tried religion, and it didn't work. I tried the God thing. I even went to a life group, but nothing changed. Everything's still pretty much the same. I read the Bible for a while. I, I did it. I dove in. But man, my kids are still rebellious. It hasn't changed anything in, in our lives. Or I, I prayed. I mean, I really prayed. But the cancer is still there. It's possible that you've known someone who has walked away from the faith for a reason like that. You see, if you believe that God exists to make you happy, and then you're not happy, it forces you to believe that God failed. Now, God didn't fail. When we start with the wrong assumption, we are led to a very dangerous place. And so if the assumption is I'm supposed to be happy, that means everything I want, God's going to give me. Common sense says that's not going to happen. But if that's your belief and then that breaks down, you're going to say, it's not on me, it's on God. Now, I know so far today I sound like a downer. I apologize. My, my tone so far matches the weather outside. But understand this, I do very much so believe that God is glad when we are happy. I believe that when you are happy, it brings God joy, much like it brings me joy when my children are happy. That he looks down, when we are happy, that brings him joy. But relating it to, to my own children, my kids' happiness is not my highest priority. And our happiness is not God's. God doesn't want us to pursue happiness, he wants us to pursue him. And he doesn't want us to pursue him to receive the byproduct of happiness. We, we don't pursue him so that he'll give us what we want. We pursue him for who he is and that alone. So I want to dig a little deeper with this idea of, of God maybe not seeing our happiness as the, as the most important thing or as quite as important as we would like to think. And to do that, I want to share with you two specific uh, instances, two specific situations where God isn't so concerned about our happiness. So here's the first one. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something wrong or unwise. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something stupid or sinful or, or, or wrong or unwise. So many people do things that they believe will make them happy, that they will enjoy, and yet sometimes those things fit into these categories, that they are wrong, unwise, or even sinful. We often think we know what's best for us. We think something will make us happy. We are not always right about that. When I was a kid... Um, we had a lot of snow every winter. 
this week, nothing. This was nothing. When I was a kid, and that wasn't that long ago, I'm only 31, wasn't that long ago, we wouldn't have missed a day of school this week. And I would like my kids to go back to school. It's time, okay? It's time. But we had a lot of snow every winter, and not just in the winter. My birthday's in October. Definitely have had, had October snow. My grandmother's birthday was in late April. Definitely have had snow on her birthday. And lots of it. I grew up near Lake Erie. And so we had lake effect snow. If you've never experienced lake effect snow, totally different world. Some people the other day got out and went sled riding. That's not, that was not sled riding compared to what we were able to do sometimes. And one particular day, we, we went down to the neighbors to do some sled riding. And, and I thought that I was the smart kid because I brought my snow tube instead of my sled. And you know the snow tube, if you do it right, and you've got the right snow, you can get some speed, you can get some air, you can really have a lot of fun. And one of the advantages to, to going down to the neighbors was that their hill was a little better than our hill. One of the disadvantages is that it had a lot of trees um, spread throughout it. Some of you already know where this is headed. And so the other truth that's important to understand here is that it's a lot easier to get turned around on a tube than it is on a, on a sled. And I thought, the tube will go faster, it'll be awesome, I'll be the coolest one here, I'll have the most fun, and by the end of the day I'll say, this was the best decision I made, go me. But I got backwards about halfway down the hill on my first run, and I found a tree with the back of my head. And I don't think I went unconscious. Maybe the fact that I'm not positive is a bad sign. But I was pretty stiff-necked for a long time. I did not walk out of that situation saying, man, I had the most fun today. Actually, I had the least fun because I made one run and then I went home. It seemed like a good idea. I thought that I was maximizing my fun that day. I thought for sure I was going to come out of that happy. But it was unwise and it led to pain. I didn't know it then, but I've certainly begun to learn it by now. I, I don't always know what's best for me. We do that. We, we make these decisions where we say, this is what's going to make me happy, so I'm going to do it. And a lot of times... We end up with pain. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. We can be extremely sure that we're making the right decision, but if that decision is based on happiness or not, and not what God would have us do, there's a strong chance it's going to end up in pain. We cannot count on ourselves to choose right all the time, and yet so often we go with our gut like we're infallible. We do what seems fun, we do what we think will make us happy. That's not what we're called to do. Scripture, in fact, calls us to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. And I feel like that verse is pretty clear, but I think a lot of us over the years have replaced a couple words in there. And we functioned as if that verse actually said, But now you must be happy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is happy. We say, God, God wants me to be happy. That's what God would want from me. That's the version a lot of us might want to live by, but that's not what it says. The Bible teaches us that, that holiness is what we're to strive for, not happiness. And by the world standard of happiness, there, is absolutely will, there absolutely will be times when pursuing holiness lessens your worldly happiness. It will happen at some point. That's part of why this can be a tough road to follow. Because it's not always going to be the most fun. But if we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else instead of holy above all else, we will absolutely end up doing things that are unwise or wrong in the pursuit of happiness. 
And to make matters worse, we'll even justify in our minds that that's what God would want us to do. We will, you can get to the point, if you go down this path and say, God wants me to be happy, where you do something wrong and justify it in your mind to say, God would be okay with this because it makes me happy. You can get to a point where you say, God would be okay with my sin. There is nowhere in Scripture that says God is okay with, with my sin. Our sin, it's, it's disgusting to God. It's off-putting to God. It separates us from Him. And yet we'll convince ourselves. We can get to the point where we say, eh, it's for my happiness. God, God will let this one go. That's, that's little. That's minor. There are millions of, example, of examples of, of, of our desire to... to to choose happy over holy, you know, you decide you want to eat cake. You notice I didn't say a piece of cake. But you want to eat cake, and it's there. And you could eat the whole thing. It'd be fun to eat the whole thing. I've never eaten a whole cake. That'd be kind of cool to say I've eaten the whole cake. That would be wrong and unwise. But there would be a little bit of temptation there to do it, just to say you did it, or just, just to have a little fun. Or maybe one more relatable to some of you. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you cannot stand going to work. Maybe rolling out of bed, you know, even if you got a good night's sleep, when you roll out of bed, it's just really hard to get up because you don't want to go to work. But you've got a family and bills to pay, and so you really need the job. But it would make you oh so happy to tell your boss off and walk out. And you've known people who've done it, who just up and quit, and it felt so good. And it's tempting. And in that moment, you have to decide what matters most, your happiness or taking care of your family. I know what would feel good, but what's wise in the situation? And we struggle with that. We say, well, do I choose what's going to make me happy here? The list could go on. Now, listen, I'm not saying God wants you to choose only holiness or only happiness. And I'm not saying that, that you won't ever be happy while you're pursuing holiness. I, I believe that, that when we are uh, pursuing holiness, God will bless us with that. But what I am saying is that God calls us to pursue one and not the other. Again, I think he'll bless us with happiness when we're pursuing holiness, but I also believe that if we are pursuing happiness above all else, we will struggle to stay holy. It's inevitable. And again, it's because sometimes pursuing happiness will cause us to, to do something unwise or even sinful. Now the second situation, the second instance here, that God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on the things of this world. If you watch advertising on TV... It's amazing to learn what you need to be happy. They'll tell you, but it's amazing to learn. Stay up late one night watching some infomercials, and you'll quickly realize there are approximately three things you need to be happy. Some kind of miracle lotion to make your skin look 22 again. The new miracle exercise machine, whatever the, the flavor of the week is. And a Snuggie. That, that's what you need to be happy. There's a formula that culture tells us is true, and it basically goes like this. Better possessions, newer, faster, shinier, bigger, whatever, plus peaceful circumstances, the absence of all conflict, plus thrilling experiences like the perfect vacation, the fun experience, the big hit, the big thrill, plus the right relationships, and if you're not right, I'll trade you in for someone else, newer, younger, whatever, plus the perfect experience, Perfect appearance, tuck it, lift it, pull it, smooth it, whatever it takes. And that if you have all of those things, better possessions, peaceful circumstances, thrilling experiences, the right relationship, the perfect appearance, that equals happiness. 
If you have all that, you'll be happy. That is culture's equation. And yet the problem is all of those things are based on happenings. And happenings change. Those things don't last. That's why no one is really happy all the time in the things of this world, because they are simply counterfeits. They're not the real thing. It's like when you go to the grocery store, there are so many things that aren't what you probably, at least on some level, assume that they are. Go to the, go to the juice aisle. If it's 10% juice, is it really juice? But when you come home from the store with it, what did you buy? I bought some juice. Eh, sort of. It's 90% something else, so probably something else. Go to the seafood section. You can buy real crab meat. It's a little more expensive. They do, however, have imitation crab meat. Now, don't get me wrong. I like imitation crab meat, but I don't think it tastes like crab. It definitely doesn't look like crab. It's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And that's exactly what the world does. If you get this, if you buy this, if you have this, if you trade this in, then you're going to be happy. Maybe for a moment. But you're still not happy because God doesn't want you to be happy when it's only based on the things of this world. They're temporary and they're counterfeit. It's pretty clear from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says this, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers, listen to this, this is exactly what we're talking about, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. See, all of those things that the world says are important, all of those things in that equation for cultural happiness are exactly what he's talking about here when he says that they are fading away. It's clear to me from reading Scripture, from God's Word, that God doesn't want us to be happy above else, all else when it, when it causes us to do the wrong thing or something unwise. And he absolutely doesn't want us to be happy when it's only based on the things of this world. Above all else, God's highest calling for you is not happiness because God doesn't want you happy as much as he wants you blessed. God has something far better for us than happiness, and that's his blessing. Happiness is based on happenings. It's based on this world. Blessings are based on God's goodness and his presence. In fact, you can, you can take the word for, for blessed in the original language here in Greek that we translate to blessed, and you can also translate it to mean more than happy, which I think is pretty cool. God wants you more than happy. And the problem is if you tell someone that God wants them to be blessed, most people will think you mean more money, perfect health, all the desires of your heart. But that's not what we're talking about. When God wants you blessed, it doesn't mean you don't have a bad day doesn't mean your kids won't fight. Trust me, I have four. And I'm thankful only three of them are old enough to fight. They're skilled fighters for sure. I don't know where they learned this stuff. It doesn't mean that your car won't break down. It doesn't mean you won't get the pimple before prom or the flu before the big presentation. These things will still happen. What it actually means is you will experience the goodness of God in the middle of some of the difficulties of life. 
Jesus said these words, John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The problem is if we're looking for a pain-free, perfect life, we're not going to find it, and so we're going to be disappointed. That's not what Jesus promised us here. He actually promised us the opposite. When we don't have that pain-free, perfect life, we start to blame God when the reality is God wants to be active in our pain-filled lives because we live in a sinful and broken world and those things are going to be there. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you won't have trials. It doesn't mean you won't feel weak. It also doesn't mean that there won't be storms in your life. But in the middle of the storm, you could have a blessing. That peace that Jesus talked about is an amazing blessing in the midst of a storm. Honestly, if storms are going to come anyway, and they are, I think I'd rather have the blessing of peace in the storms than worldly happiness that will fade away. And when you have that peace in the midst of storms, when people see that in you, they absolutely will want to know how it's possible that you can be at peace in the midst of a storm. And the answer is actually an opportunity to tell them that only comes from God. There's nothing this world has that can give you that peace. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And we struggle with the first part of this, this passage because we say, well, that's all well and good, but I, don't, I, don't, I can't rejoice in the midst of trials. But it's worth it because it helps us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Nowhere in this passage, nor in anywhere in Scripture does it say, for we know how dearly God loves us because he makes us happy or wants us to be happy. And it says this hope will not lead to dis disappointment. Guess what? The, the, the things of this world that we think will make us happy at some point will lead to disappointment. You see, it's not about happiness. It's about what God has done for us and what he continues to do for us. It's the blessing. And if you've been through the trials with God in your corner, my guess is you wouldn't welcome those trials back into your life. But you can see exactly where God was in those trials and know that you were blessed by Him in the midst of it. It's not always easy to see in the middle of it. It can, in fact, be very difficult to see in the middle of it. But when you look back, you can see, you know, God was with me in a way that I didn't even realize. Happiness is a a worldly standard, it's a fruitless pursuit. It's not what we're called to seek after. It's like this story Max Lucado tells, and I, I want to kind of close with this. He said this, he said, if you took a fish out of water and put it on the beach, would the fish be happy? Let's say we give the fish some money, $100,000. Does that help? What if we gave him a lounge chair and an ice-cold Coke and some sunglasses? Some of you are ready to go to the beach right now. <laughs> what if we gave him a little ladyfish to hang out with on the beach? Would he be happy? No, of course not. Because the fish was not created for the sand, the fish was created for the ocean. If you have everything this world has to offer, will you ultimately and lastingly be happy? No, because you were not created for earth. 
We were created for heaven. We were created for eternity with God. Our, our time on this earth is but a blip. We were not created to pursue happiness, but to pursue God. And at the end of this blip, our time on this earth, to begin eternity in heaven with him. God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. And nothing of this earth will ever satisfy us the way the pursuit of God will. And nothing of this earth will last, yet we can be with God for eternity. We put so much stock in this when this is so temporary. So the question for you and I ultimately becomes, what are we pursuing? That which is temporary or God who is eternal? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word for showing us what you want us to know about you. And God, for the times that we have misunderstood, or just, just been way off about what you're trying to, to tell us through your word, we, we are sorry for that. We get carried away and sometimes and we, we misunderstand or we, we read what we want to see out of your word. But God... I pray that we understand that happiness needs to not be our pursuit, that, that nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that that's what we're pursuing, but yet everywhere throughout Scripture it's clear that we're to pursue you first. God, I pray that, that each and every day, each and every moment, that that would be at the top of our list. We would seek you first. Because, God, I believe that the way that that affects the rest of our life, when we seek you first, it is 100% positive. And God, if we're in the midst of a storm or a struggle right now, help us to understand that, that you're there not to fix the problem, and not to make us happy again, not to... Not to clean everything up, but that you'll give us peace. And that you'll walk through those storms and those struggles with us. Help us to feel your presence. God, as we continue in our service, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on the one thing that, that truly changed our lives more than anything else. When you sent your son to the cross for us. To make it possible for us to spend that eternity with you. Again, help us to focus during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing another song together. And as we do that, we're going to invite you to stand with us. And we want you to know that the invitation is always open. If you ever have something you need to, to talk to, to Larry or I or one of the elders about, we would be more than happy to talk to you. If you need to make a decision for Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you about that anytime. If you need to rededicate your life to him, we'd love to talk to you about that anytime. And if you just need prayer, we'd be more than happy to pray for you. So we just stop by the link and see me, and we'd love to set up a time to do that. Let's stand and we'll sing together.